Well, the last two weeks, if you've been here, we've been looking at some pretty bad prayers in the Bible, haven't we? And uh, that kind of seems like blasphemy in some ways uh, because there's not a lot of bad prayers. And is it really bad to pray? But we've been looking um, at these prayers. And if you remember the very first week, we looked at this, in, uh, this great parable, this illustration that Jesus teaches. And he says, hey, there's a Pharisee and a tax collector. They go to church. They go to the temple. And remember, the Pharisee was like very self-righteous. Do you remember this? He, he pretty much shows up and he says, hey, you know, thank God I'm not like this person. I give and all this other stuff. Super arrogant, self-righteous guy. And then the tax collector is the exact opposite where he is really just coming and humble and says, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. And if, we, if you remember, we, when we look at those two examples, we really said, hey, in this series, don't pray this way. We don't need to approach God with this arrogance and self-righteousness, but instead really this position and posture of humility, just coming before God because he's God. And um, so we looked at that last week. We looked at this runaway prophet named Jonah. And we, a lot of us know that story. But Jonah, essentially God came to Jonah and said, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to go to this place called Nineveh. It's like the most evil city ever. And I'm going to use you there. And Jonah said, no, you're not because I'm not going there. And he went the opposite way, right? He got on a boat like he could outrun God. Have you ever been like that where you think you can outrun God? That's a dumb uh, decision, right? And so he gets in a boat, all stuff. We know the story. He gets uh, thrown overboard, swallowed up by a large fish, all right? Not a whale, that's right. Um, So a fish, and then he spits him out on land. God uses him. All, All the people of Nineveh come to know and follow God, but yet... Uh, Jonah is ticked about it, and he just prays, God, why did you even do this type thing? And so we saw that really it was all about him. He was all about himself. He didn't care about God's plan. He wanted his plan to happen. And so this morning, we're concluding this series, Don't Pray This Way, by looking at the story of Job. Okay, J-O-B. It's not job. How many of y'all, you don't have to raise your hands, okay? I thought it was job. No, it's J-O-B. It's not job, it's Job. But we're looking at this story, and you are probably thinking, if you know the story of Job, like, okay, Dustin, like, seriously, you're about to criticize Job of all people on the way that he prayed? I mean, like, seriously? Like, have you lost it? Like, what kind of church is this, (laughs) right? Like, you're probably thinking, I'm never praying in front of Dustin because he's just going to, like, judge my prayers uh, type thing. No, I'm not doing that, all right? And I know it's easy to criticize a Pharisee who's arrogant and a a runaway prophet who thinks his way is better and is living in disobedience. But we are going to see now, I know, I'm just going to be honest, struggling with this one because Job goes through a lot of suffering and, um, and so it's really kind of hard to judge, but there are some things here that we just need to be reminded of, and then hopefully we'll put a nice little bow on, on the series at the end. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to Job. It's in the Old Testament. It um, really is a part of the Old Testament. If you look at the way it's broken down, is really in kind of the poetic um, section of the Old Testament with Psalms and, um, and, and those things in Proverbs, just kind of more, more poetry and wisdom um, in this. But um, we see in his story that we don't really know a lot about Job. 
Um, we know that he's from the land of Uz, U-Z. Um, scholars don't really know where that is, but they assume that if you follow the yellow brick road, you'll get to Uz, okay? Okay, maybe that'll be funny or second service, but that was a flop. But uh, no, they don't know where Uz is, U-Z, and we don't have a ton of detail. We don't know who the author of Job is. We don't know when this is set historically in time. Um, a lot of scholars believe that the author who wrote Job did that intentionally because he doesn't want our focus to be nerds and be like, okay, when did this happen in the historical timeline of the, you know, whatever, but to really focus in on Job and his relationship with God in the midst of suffering. And I really think this is applicable because we all go through times and seasons of suffering. But here's what we do know about Job. That if you look in chapter 1, the first five verses really are introductory about what kind of man he is. He has great character. In um, verse 1, right out of the gate, it says that Job was a blameless and upright man who feared God, and he turned away from evil. Now, I don't know about you, but like when I die and at my funeral, that, like I want that to be said of me. I don't want it to be said like, oh, well, he was the biggest jerk. He, he, he said he loved God, but he really didn't. Like those are some pretty powerful words that he is, a, is this incredible man who's blameless and upright, has great character, fears the Lord, and turns away from evil. Essentially saying, hey, like, it's really hard to find sin in Job's life. We know that he was also uh, really wealthy. He had great health. Um, he had a huge family. He, had, he was married. He had seven sons and three daughters. He, like I said, he was rich. He had tons of land and like a, like a trillion animals, all right? Like literally, if you look in chapter one, he, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke, 500 female donkeys. Like, I mean, that's a lot of animals, all right? And, and so he has everything. He's very wealthy. He's um, well-known. Um, it, it also says that um, he was the greatest of all the people of the East. So he's very prosperous and blessed in this. And so we kind of see this introductory thing in, in the book of Job. And then it kind of goes, I'm going to be honest, like this weird kind of twist type thing where God, it says in Scripture that God is um, meeting with the sons of God. So it's almost like, like a staff meeting in heaven, I don't know. And Satan shows up. And Satan, they start pinpointing to Job in his life. And Satan says, the only reason that Job really follows you is because you have blessed him. You've blessed him in two predominant ways. One, in his wealth and all of his possessions and everything. But two, in his health. And I tell you that if you were to take all of those things away, Satan's telling this to God. If you were to take away his wealth and his health, he would not follow you any more. And then what God does, I can't explain, but it is interesting that God says, okay, you can test Job. Like pretty much I believe in him and I don't think that he will turn away from me. And so he allows Satan to test Job. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, the only thing I can really make of that is that, and this is where kind of this underlying theme that we're going to see this morning is that God does allow bad things to happen to you and me. And whether that is to keep us from a future sin, to, uh, as a consequence, to current sin, 
to teach us a lesson of really to increase our faith. I mean, God allows bad things to happen for those reasons. And the book doesn't really answer that. But what we see is that immediately Satan goes right after Job. He goes after his wealth and he takes away all of his possessions, all of his animals, his land. He even takes away his 10 kids. And after this, Scripture says in Job that in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So after his possessions and children are taken away, he doesn't even blame God. I mean, I would probably be quick to point fingers to God. Like, God, why did you do this? And then, if that wasn't enough, Satan's like, okay, we're going to do a one-two punch combo here. And I took away all your wealth. Now I'm going to take away your health. And, and Satan goes after Job by um, inducing sores from head to toe all over his body. And he is in great anguish and great pain. And in this moment, it's really a defining moment for Job. He cries out to God. And really it's a part of human weakness in this. And so we see this in chapter 3 where he calls out and, and laments Um, to God. And so read this with me. This is in Job chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through 11. It says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, okay, so here's part of this prayer to God. Let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. And that night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Levithan, which I think at the time, if I read my commentary right, was like a a sea monster of the day. Like Think of like Loch Ness Monster. I'm not really sure, okay? That's kind of crazy. But to do that, let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth and come out from the womb and just expire? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, these are the words of Job to God. Now, if you were to read the rest, really, you see this and what happens and what takes place, just so you know, is that these three friends of Job come and they all it's really this dialogue back and forth where a friend says, hey, well, this is why you're going through this. And then Job responds. And then the second friend, this is why you're going through this. And Job responds. And the third friend and so on. And really, they're trying to understand the justice of God. And essentially, the first friend says, hey, just want you to know the reason that this is happening is because bad people have consequences. And bad things happen to bad people. And so you're a bad person. And, and so he responds with, I haven't done anything. Didn't you read chapter one? I'm blameless. 
I'm like God's man. Like, what are you talking about? The second friend comes and along the same line says, hey, God is a God that is just. So there's got to be reason in here. Maybe you did something bad and that's kind of it. And then the third friend is kind of a combo of both. He says, bad things happen to bad people. God is just. And so maybe he's giving you consequences because of bad things. And Job is like, what in the world is happening in all this? And we'll get to it in a second. But this takes place even so much so that he's in so much suffering. Job's wife tells Job to turn from God and curse him. She has had it. Wives, you know what I'm talking about? She's like, enough's enough. You know, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Well, she didn't say that. that's a mom, but you know what I'm saying. Like, she's telling him, you, this is enough. Curse God. Turn from him. He's brought all this suffering on you. And Job doesn't do it, but he does, in this moment of weakness, call out to God and is like saying, pretty much, I wish I wasn't born. And so there's two things I want to point out this morning that if we're talking about don't pray this way, what exactly is wrong with his prayer. The first one is, is that his prayer assumes that, that God made a mistake. He assumes that God made a mistake. This isn't, this isn't happening. And if you think about our lives, we've all had these thoughts in our life like, okay, God, you made a mistake with this one. Whatever's happening here, this circumstance, eh, you made a mistake. And this really plays out to me at least, in my opinion, in two different categories in our lives. One is circumstances. You think about circumstances that take place. You're like, hey, I'm supposed to get this job. You go to the job, and like a weekend, you're like, I hate this place. Like, God told me to be here. Like, you made a mistake, God. These are a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> you know, like, why did you do that? Or, or maybe you get married, and like a year in, you're like, okay, God, you made a mistake in this situation, or whatever the case may be, there's a lot of different circumstances that we go through. I remember one of the first churches that I served at, and I know you know every church is perfect, right? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's not funny. Um, but anyway, I went and, uh, to this church and um, packed up my family. We moved to a different place, and we didn't know anybody there, and we knew, like in that, man, we've been praying. The Holy Spirit had just totally convicted us, and this is a while ago, and there was a song by Chris Tomlin um, called Follow, and it was like, where I go, I'll go where you say, I'll, you know, that song, and it's I Will Follow You, and that was like our anthem, right? We're like, God, wherever you want us to go, we'll just go, and so we go, and it's like six weeks in. I'm like, God, okay, seriously, like what's going on here? This is not what I signed up for. It's a lot messier than I thought. There's some unhealth here. All these other things. And so we have circumstances in our life that we point to God and we're like, God, you totally made a mistake right there. Now, if you're like uber spiritual, you're probably like, well, maybe I just didn't hear from God. But let's be honest. Like, how do you know if you're hearing from God or like if it's just you, right? I mean, if you get a raise at your job, or a new job opportunity that offers uh, more money, you're like, okay, that sounds like it's from God. <laughs> right? I got to take care of my family. And so there's that defining line, and maybe we'll get to that one day if we need to. And it's just we look at circumstances and we say, God, you made a mistake. But the second category that we look at is not just circumstances, and this is a really serious one, especially in light of COVID in the last year or so, this has really been exposed, is that we think that God made a mistake, not just in circumstances, but in us. 
and we say, God, you, you did something wrong with me. You made a mistake with me. I'm a nobody. I don't, I don't have talents. No one really likes me. I'm kind of the outcast. You're never going to use me. I'm too big of a, a mess up. And really, this is the biggest lie that Satan can use to just take you off kilter from following God. I mean, he just tries to affirm that and says, yeah, you're right. You are a nobody. You don't have what it takes. You're always going to be, be a failure. And this thought of God made a mistake really is the root of depression, self-inflicting wounds, suicidal thoughts, tendency, tendencies, and suicide. To say, I don't have what it takes. No one loves me, and it's just better for me to die. That is rooted in saying God made a mistake here. That I know he's, okay, you can even say he's in control of all things, but not with me. He made a mistake here. And essentially, that's what Job is saying. He is telling God, you made a mistake and it, was, it would have been better if I had just not been born. And the day that I was born, just cancel it. Cancel it from the calendar. Take away the day. Let it be cursed. Let clouds come and darkness just fill that day. I don't want anybody to celebrate. Wouldn't it be better if I had just been born and when I came out of the womb, I just expired? I mean, that's strong language. He's saying, God, you made a mistake there is no way, God, that you did this, that you want this to be a part of this. And if you think about this, really, it's a connection of what is happening here is essentially Job is defining or attempting to, uh, to define what is good. And that's what we do. One of our, uh, the innate habits of man is that you and I, we attempt to define what is good. We, we attempt to say, this is good. We want our choices. We want to be able to decide, hey, this is good. This is right. This is just. And we try to do this. I mean, if you don't believe me, think about this. The biggest problem when it comes to following Jesus and our eternity in heaven is that we live in a world where so many people think being good gets you into heaven, right? So who's defining good? It's not God. It's us in that matter. I've never met a person that says, Man, I cannot wait to go to hell. It's going to be awesome. No, and so in our human heart, we're like, hell is bad. I don't want to be there. So let me define what is good so I can do the opposite. And so what happens is that we define what is good. That's an innate, that's a habit that we have. We say, hey, I'm good enough. And good, the word good and the definition of good, if we define it, is really subjective. What you think is good and what I think is good could be totally different things. I mean, Hitler, what he thought was good, looked a lot different than what I think is good. And so it's subjective in that because you and I, we are not the definers of good. God is the definer of that. And so it's really this question of trust and do we understand what Job was going through says, this is not good. But God, to God, he's saying it is Good. If you were to look at Romans 8, 28, Paul puts it this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
Well, we look at good and we're thinking, okay, good is if you're going to work for those uh, for good or those who are called according to his purpose, man, I should have a good job, a great family. Everything should be seamless and fun and all those things. But God's doing the definition of good. Maybe good is going through some really crummy stuff. I always think about this. I know it's a cheesy illustration, but, you know, I have an elementary brain. So I think about this. But you think about the pressure and the stress and the time and the heat that, um, that something um, like a, a piece of rock, I don't even know. I'm, I'm not a nerd that much. But that has to go through to become a diamond. Think about that. To become something beautiful. Is it a piece of coal? I think maybe, I don't know, does that sound right? Carbon something? Yeah, y'all, y'all are smarter than me. That's good. That's why I'm a preacher, not a teacher, okay? Is that you have that, and it goes through all these things, time after time, this heat and stress and pressure and all these different things, and out of it becomes this beautiful gem. And from us, we might not understand what is good, but God is working and doing things, and as we trust him, and through that process, we are going to be better people for his sake at the end of the day when we allow him to define good and walk through it and just be faithful to God through that. And so Job looks at this and he's like, man, God, you totally made a mistake. The prophet Isaiah says this, for my thoughts, or he's quoting God in, this, in the book of Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is above it all. He didn't make a mistake with you or the circumstance and the suffering. He's in control of these things. And God defines what is good because he's God and we are not. Plain and simple, right? He defines what is good because he's God and we're not. And so you see this call out to, to God Job says, man, I wish I wasn't even born. You, you made a huge mistake. Just take me off this earth, and no one needs to celebrate it. He has all these friends that are speaking into his life, and essentially, Job corrects them along the way. It's like, hey, now y'all are all wrong, whatever. I haven't done anything, all this other stuff. And he cries out to God some more, and then God essentially comes to him. He doesn't really answer Job's um, questions. But what God is about to do, oh man, like I would just hate to be Job. I'd feel like this big in this moment. So if you flip all the way to Job um, 38, all right, um, God shows up in a whirlwind. And what, what scripture says, I don't know what that means. That's like a tornado or a wind or whatever, but God can do what he does. And he shows up and he answers Job. Now in chapter 38, this is in um, verses 1 through 4. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said this. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. hey okay. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Were you, uh, where were you when I la laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And it just continues, okay? Uh, I'll read some of it. I know it's not on the screens, but he says, Who determines its measure, measurements? Surely you know. Or you stretch the line upon it? Or what, uh, um, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And God just continues to come and just really remind um, Job here, who's boss? <laughs> 
That's what God is doing. And I love that line where he tells uh, Job, you better dress for action like a man. You better put your big boy pants on now because I'm God and you're not. And you can do all this complaining and you can say all this other stuff, but I'm going to tell you. And he's like, were you there when, when um, the world was created? No, nope, you weren't. Okay, I was. Were you there when this happened? No, nope, you weren't. I was. And so I'm sovereign in this. And God is reminding him. I mean, it is like the ultimate God, like mic drop, right? Where he's like, let me tell you what's going on. Boop, all right, see ya, peace type thing. And he's just coming after Job, but really in a graceful way saying, let me remind you who's in charge here. I didn't make a mistake. And you're going through this, and I'm in control, and I let it happen. And you think about this, and what I love, what ends up happening in this, <laughs> rightfully so, I would do the same thing, is Job, and I love this line. Job says this, I've heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. And he says, and now I repent. So he turns away, and he says, you know what? Pretty much he's saying, you're in control. <clears throat> I don't understand it. I don't know why I have to go through all this suffering. I, don't, I, I just don't get it. It stinks. The situation is bad. These three bozo friends are coming to me. My wife is telling me to curse you. I'm trying to be faithful to you. I'm just asking, where in the world are you? You made a mistake. And God shows up and says, no, I got this. I'm in control. You don't have to understand it all. So when you and I are going through suffering, while it's so easy to blame God, in the midst of that suffering, God is working. He's creating us uh, to be exactly how he designed us to be and to think uh, exactly how he designed us to think and all of these things for us to grow in our relationship with him so that we can constantly be saying, not only do I hear you, God, but now I see you and I repent. I repent of this. It's not about me. And so what I love about this, if you really think about all of these prayers that we've looked at, from the Pharisee to Jonah and now Job in this moment, really the underlying current of all of this is selfishness, right? And so essentially what, is, what God is asking of you and I when it comes to our prayer lives and the way that we talk to God and the intimacy with God is that we should pray to a God who is sovereign and trust that instead of trusting in our hearts that are selfish. I'll say that again. We should pray to a God who is sovereign instead of um, trusting in our hearts that is selfish. The Pharisee, selfish. Jonah wanted his way, selfish. Job, I know it's a, you might be like, that's a stretch. I mean, he was selfish. Rightfully so, if I was being inflicted that much pain, I would probably say, okay, God, can it ease up a little bit? I need a little help. I don't know if I would say I just want to die, but that's where Job was. And so he wanted just to die and to have his life uh, just end. And in this, God reminds him, I'm in control. Trust me. Don't trust your, your selfish hearts. And God wants you and I, and reminded me this week, to say, God, you can take it all. Jesus, take everything. And not like in a Carrie Underwood, like Jesus, take the will, like moment. I'm saying in every aspect of our life to say, God, you can have it. It's easy to do that in the good times, isn't it? 
But when the bad times hit, to say, I don't understand it. I do not understand it. This job uh, is the death of me. My family situation doesn't make any sense. My health is going downhill. I don't understand all this, God. But in the midst of it, I'm just going to remain faithful to you. That's exactly what Job did. Even in his heart and despair and crying out, and even in his messed up prayers, he remained faithful. And for you and I to be faithful in that, this is the same. Take it all. I was reminded of this story. Uh, for those of you who might have grown up in church, you probably have heard this song. It's an old hymn. Uh, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, you probably think uh, Bethel or somebody else sang this song. Uh, but it's the this, it's this song, It Is Well. It's an old hymn. Great. You probably have heard it at funerals. Incredible, incredible song. And if you don't know the story... The guy who wrote that, his name is Horatio Spafford. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And him and his family planned a trip. This is in the late 1800s, planned a trip to Europe. And so his wife and his four daughters went ahead. He had to take care of some business. He was going to catch up with them later. So they went ahead of him. They got on a boat. They go um, after God um, in this uh, or, or to Europe, and they're just like, hey, we want to get away. We're going to Europe. So um, Horatio prays, says, hey, God, keep them safe. Well, they get into the Atlantic, and they get hit by an iron vessel ship. And the boat that his wife and his four daughters were on um, sinks, and 226 people die. Um, his wife is the only survivor. His four kids died. And his four kids, just so you can know, were Annie, 12, Maggie, 7, um, Bessie, 4, and then their 18-month-old daughter, um, which I don't know her name. And her wife, his wife was the only survivor. And so what ended up happening is she finally gets to Europe. He says, you know what? I need to go meet my wife, obviously. So he gets on a ship and goes. And on his way to go meet his wife, in the midst of that tragedy, and suffering. He writes the song, It Is Well. Just some of the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let that be the song of our heart. And if you remember, you probably have heard this in Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. I mean, think about that. And even in the midst of suffering, while it might not seem good to us, we're not the ones that define good. We're the ones that cling to hope that can only be found in Jesus and in our Father who's in heaven. Because of his work and his sovereignty, he knows the ins and outs of all of those things. And let us, with our lives and with our prayers, be able to look to God and say, It is well with my soul that I will not turn from you. You are in control. You are in control, God. Let's pray together. Father, we have all been through some pretty crummy seasons in our life. Things where we just didn't think would happen to us. And times where we just didn't know if we're going to make it. 
And God, we just don't understand, to be quite honest, why those things happen. We wish they wouldn't. But Father, in the midst of those hard times, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of crying out and saying, God, why are you doing this? Even our thoughts of you made a mistake. Father, in that, God, let us trust you. Let us trust you and say, it is well with my soul. And Father, through that, let the intimacy of our relationship with you grow each and every day. Not just in the good times, but also in those tough seasons. And for someone who's here that might say, it's not well with my soul right now. Maybe they want to come up front and pray. You know, I'll be down here. You can come talk to me. I would love to pray with you. Maybe you want to talk afterwards. But Father, I pray each of us run to you. The one who takes on that burden. That takes on that hurt and that pain and that suffering. And God restores our souls so that we can sing it as well with our soul. And so Father, as we sing this closing song, let us trust in you. Let us sing to you and a God who loves us and is in control of all things. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship together.